Hello! Welcome to whatever this is. My name is Tim, and with me here is Aubrey. Hello. And Jared. Hi. So, from our little document here, it seems like we have a lot to say about comic books and comic-related material. So how about we start with that? Especially since we didn't get to Daredevil last time for some reason. <laughs> if we didn't get to it this week, oh well. <laughs> Alright, let's do it. Did you finish watching Daredevil, Jared? I, I did this week. <laughs> Hooray! Okay. Actually, I did last week. We're all very excited. I wish we had, like, party noisemakers. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> we could celebrate Jared's finishing of After sound effects. Added in post. Added in post. <laughs> so, I guess to start this off, series as a whole, I liked it. I thought the end felt a little flat. Mm-hmm. Could agree with that. My biggest problem with it is they, they, it never really felt like they let Fisk be at the height of his game. Like, he was always just kind of struggling to maintain his illegal empire. And so when Daredevil finally takes it down, it doesn't feel like he's overcome this monumental achievement. It feels like he's just kind of beat up a guy who was already down. I actually had a slightly different reason that I felt like it was off. I I actually, I liked parts of it. I enjoyed that they sort of got back to the whole, let's do this via the law thing, which I talked about one of the previous podcasts I wish they were doing more of. So I appreciated that. But while they were going around like celebrating and being like, yeah, we did it. This is great. I never really believed that it was, that, that it actually that that was going to be the end of it. I mean, for obvious reasons, because there's going to be more show, but also they just didn't, it felt too easy. It like obviously felt too easy. Right. It was like, no, I don't know. This is so transparently going to fall apart immediately that I'm not at all like with them in their celebrating. I think it felt easy, but I actually like, I started liking more the end afterwards he like escaped even and like the whole process of that see i felt like the escape felt a little bit contrived because like aubrey said it just felt um it's like yeah we did it well but you know we haven't we know we haven't really did it done it you haven't accomplished it because daredevil himself hasn't really done anything this episode so something's probably going to happen there (laughs) (laughs) yeah it just felt like him getting arrested and then escaping. Oh, is he gonna get away? And now he's gonna get punched in the face by our hero. And then we win. Yay. I don't know. Didn't really work for me. Does somebody actually have a cricket in the background of their house? <laughs> Sorry, actually. <laughs> Let me shut my window. <laughs> And uh, I was really kind of hoping for a scene of Daredevil breaking into Fisk's stronghold and having one of those kind of scenes of uh, one dude against this giant complex. Mm, Yeah, those are good scenes. And it was a little disappointing that that didn't really pan out. And what did pan out was just a fistfight in a back alley. Um, And I was also really... I really, really liked Wesley as a character, uh, Fisk's second-hand man. Yeah. 
and oh, I thought yeah, you got shot. Sorry. The way he does spoilers. <laughs> spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> Didn't get much warning there. Retroactive um, spoilers. Uh, and the way he died was uh, really kind of lame. Yeah, and I don't feel like they actually carried through on the psychological damage that it did to Karen. Like, they implied that she was really shaken up by it, and then they never actually went anywhere with that. Yeah, and it also, like, the way he died felt really out of character for him, because Mm -hmm. he is an incredibly intelligent dude, and, like, I thought his bluff, like, oh, you really think that that (laughs) was, was was fun, but, like, it's, like, a smart thing to do, but then it didn't actually pan out. Like, I think it would have been... Uh, I honestly feel like Wesley was a strong enough character that they could have kept him around for longer. I agree. And how I how I would have liked that scene to play out is if he did lie and then get away with it. Like, oh shit, I fucked up, and but still managed to pull it around. Mm. As opposed to, oh, I was a dumbass, and I left a loaded gun in front of me, and now I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked that it sort of showed how like, the human part of his loyalty to Fisk, because he had sort of been very coldly and, you know, very sort of, you know, matter-of-factly loyal to Fisk, but that really, you know, his sort of emotional response to, Mm. you know, learning that Fisk's mother had been compromised, I liked, and so it would sort of make sense that he would make some sort of a mistake uh, like that, but I agree that he should have been able to then figure out a way out of it. And Karen Karen killing him wasn't super satisfying, especially since they didn't really follow through on what that how that affected her. So it felt like they had this super interesting character and then they kind of just dropped him and didn't just kind of forgot about him. Yeah. Yeah, it was disappointing to see him actually die, like even though he is a bad guy. I didn't really expect him to. I felt like I felt they were leading you somewhere else, then all of a sudden it's like you left the table, the gun on the table. Oh, I shot you. Okay. Yeah. And I feel that when you have uh, characteristically really competent characters, I think you have to sell him making a mistake a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. if you just treat it as the things that he normally does, then it seems out of character, as opposed to showing him having made a mistake beforehand that maybe you could pick up on before he does it or mm-hmm. something I don't know. or showing like the moment when the mistake happens and showing what it was that distracted him or like what his right yeah. well they, they they sort of didn't wasn't it what he got a, a cell phone call right is that what happened? well they show what ultimately sparked his kidnapping karen which i suppose you could argue in and of itself was a mistake well you can we can also talk about um the whole plot to kill fist's girlfriend the the double cross by the the other villains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that I found interesting how they were in the background trying to get him back on track because they didn't like what he was doing. And... Yeah, and that so that that plot point is kind of what I felt makes the end not as strong because they're like, yeah, he's losing his game. Like we got to put him back on the right course, and then he gets arrested. It's like. Yeah. In some ways it felt sort of ironically like Daredevil was actually helping Fisk for a lot of the series because it was actually his own allies who were (laughs) screwing him repeatedly. (laughs) And so it almost felt like Daredevil was helping him remove the uh, untrustworthy (laughs) allies that he had. 
I liked the new, the, the suit appearing. It was good. It was a good piece of, we finally arrived at the, mm-hmm. the world building moment where Daredevil, as we know him, comes to exist. Not just wearing a black ski mask. Nope, nope. It was good. It was good. I also was, I was somewhat intrigued by the character who created the costume and kind of wanted to spend more time with how he had gotten involved with Fisk in the first place. Um, I can't remember who he is. He's an important character from the comics, so we'll probably see him more. I heard Electra's supposed to be in the next season. I was trying to, I trying to remember where I saw that. And it was like on Reddit that they were like casting for it to be in the. I don't know if they're just going to show her, like, tease in the second one and then do something off of that. Anyone else have any more thoughts in general? We haven't really talked about Ben at all. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And I think ultimately he's just not a super interesting character. Um, like, I'm trying to, like, I was thinking about, like, the way he's killed and what that means for the story and what his story means leading up to him being killed. And I don't feel like he played as strong as a role as he could have. All right. How do you feel about that? Um, I feel like you're probably right, but I also was, like, reasonably upset when he got murdered. Like, the emotional impact of that I was actually, you know, reasonably affected by. I don't know. And why do you think that is? I don't know. I... I Maybe it's because I actually expected Fisk not to kill him for some reason. Because Fisk, I was just going to say, I feel like Fisk, whenever he actually takes it upon himself to do the dirty work himself and murder someone, it's usually in like a fit of violent rage. Mm. And his confrontation with Ben was so like calculated and calm. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was a, I don't know, it was a, surprising interaction i um i'm pretty susceptible to how spoilers affect my appreciation of um what's going on and i had had it hinted at in things i had read that he was going to die oh, okay. so by the time it finally came around to it i was like all right well seeing as the only people i actually have talked to daredevil about are you guys and i have not read anything about it i did not have that experience <laughs> I, I I I felt like after watching the thing, I expected him to die. I don't know. I was I was really not wanting him to. Oh, it felt just like a dark night where he's just like walking through, and then all of a sudden someone just stabs him. Like it, you just felt it was coming. Like I I'm glad they gave him a little bit more than just like he just suddenly dies. They sort of gave him that like at where he sits down at his desk and sort of but. And I guess I felt like the last, the, all pretty much all of the deaths in the last few episodes, I felt didn't really have a very strong narrative impact. And so I feel like, well, there are reasons for Ben Urich to be killed. There'd be reasons why Fisk was angry enough to go and kill him. It didn't feel like his death really had a very strong purpose. And I feel similarly about the death of um, Owsley, the, the accountant. Uh-huh. How did he die again? Fisk throws him down a... Oh, yeah. Elevator shaft. I find finances really boring. <laughs> <laughs> and I also feel like I probably believe that most people who are involved in, like, 
high-level corporate finance are probably villains in some way, shape, or form in real life anyway. I just, I didn't find him compelling at all as a villain. And so I was like, oh, well, good. Now we don't have to keep watching him. (laughs) Excellent. I also felt like it was dumb of him to assume that uh, Fisk wouldn't respond violently to him. Yeah. After Fisk had, like, brutally murdered quite a number of... (laughs) Of people it's like the fact that he thought he was just gonna get away with with it i was like ah you're not nearly as smart as you think you are yeah i was surprised how far he even got along with that i was like i was expecting him to be like shot dead something like right on the spot for everything like <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i feel like i should announce myself oh hello oh hello. there's another person here <laughs> a challenger has arrived <laughs> Just been secretly listening in to the last couple minutes. Okay, so now who do we kick off the podcast to accommodate Alicia's presence? Well, obviously Jared. Okay. <laughs> well, we're conjoined. Oh, that's that's new. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of the year with headphones. Well, welcome, Alicia. So, for those of you listening, uh, <laughs> would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I am Alicia. I am Jared's wife. And friends with Aubrey and Tim. You don't have to find your your being by the man the man in your life. That's, <laughs> that's not who you are, Alicia. I know. It's not. Frankly, Jared is probably your husband. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, what are your thoughts about Daredevil? Um, I I've been I was enjoying it. <laughs> I, I'm kind of interested to see. Where they go. For some reason, I just I just get the sense that um, Fisk's lover, I don't remember what her name is. Is it Vanessa? Vanessa? Yeah, that somehow she's going to be, like, a good villain in the future. I feel like she would do a really good job. I'd like to see her in that role. Yeah, and uh, again, I'm not super familiar with the Daredevil comics, but I know she plays a pretty big role in the comics. Yeah, see, I, I'm absolutely completely unfamiliar, so it's all a surprise to me. <laughs> <laughs> I am curious about what they plan to do with Fisk in the future because I think it'll be really dumb if, like, the first episode of season two, he's back. It's like, I'm back and I'm a super big villain again. He just like drills his way out of jail. <laughs> Hand crank. Well, he did have his moment where he was like. You know, because he had thought of himself as a good guy, you know, sort of a twisted good guy, mm-hmm. but a good, you know, like ultimately having this, the city's best interests at heart. So we did have that moment at the end where he sort of like had his own paradigm shift about himself and, and how he should go about doing things. So I think seeing that in the next season will be interesting. Um, but it'll, yeah, I think it'll be dumb if they just sort of swoop right back up with okay he's back he's you know he should have to earn his way out of wherever he is pretty hard yeah i don't feel like they put him away far enough that they can't bring him back by any means i think they definitely will bring him back at some point like i just hope they don't do it right away mm -hmm. a lot of shows tend to like really write off a character like either kill or make sure they're gone but yeah he, he seems like he's gonna come back and i don't know if you can really leave like vanessa there without bringing him back at some point. Oh, yeah, no, they'll bring him back for sure. That's part of the reason for that whole speech, was so that he could recontextualize himself and sort of be a different villain next season. Yeah. Did you guys already talk about Foggy? No. No, no. Because Jared and I have very different views on Foggy. Oh, no. (laughs) 
All right, let's hear it. Jared, Jared, I don't know. How would you define your your feelings on Foggy? So the episode where Foggy finds out who Daredevil is, I was just not a fan. I really felt like Foggy was a total dick. And, like, I, I don't really know how to explain it really well, but I just felt like he didn't give him any slack, like, for what he was doing or anything. And it's... It's like, he's like challenging, oh, you're really not blind then. And just like, I just thought in most circumstances, yes, I probably would have been disappointed. My friend didn't tell me, but I'm not sure I would be to the amount of just like rude and like that I considered Foggy. I saw Foggy as, so. Okay. Yeah, see, so I personally, I thought that Foggy's reaction was quite um, reasonable. Mm Mm-hmm. And that the whole concept of a guy dressing up in a black tight suit and going out and, like, kicking ass all the time is, um, a little obviously crazy. So you would react to something like that like it was crazy. But, but I, it, it was just really annoying watching that episode with Jerry because the whole time he was like, <laughs> stop being such a dick. Oh my gosh, I hate Foggy. Foggy's so terrible. And I'm like, Foggy's great. I think I like him better than I like Matthew. So I don't know. I am super in Alicia's camp. <laughs> <laughs> I like Foggy a lot better than I, I like Matthew. I didn't say I didn't like Foggy, but I just thought he was just, like, the way he reacted to it is I didn't, I, I wouldn't feel a lot of people would react. Maybe I could be wrong. Well, I don't know. I think that it's not just that his friend didn't tell him something about himself that was really important. It's that the entire, like, foundation of their relationship was a lie. Because they flash back to how they first met in their dorm room and you know Matthew let Foggy sort of take this role as his like guardian you know guiding him through school you know you know physically and like you know so the entire way that Foggy thinks about Matthew and that Matthew let him think about him was not just something that he neglected to tell him but it was like an intentional misleading yeah, the conscious effort involved in that, too, because you see a lot of scenes where he'll, like, oh, like, feel around on the counter for where his keys are, or, like, fumble for the handle on something, and you're just like, okay, yeah, he's gotta, like, think about this, like, oh, I'm gonna pretend like I don't know where stuff is. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, like, most superhero alter egos, when you get right down to it, uh, Matt Murdock is a bit of a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> really? But he's got that whole Catholic guilt thing, which really keeps him from from going as far as the uh, the typical sociopath. Well, it's like, yeah, what what kind of person can lie to absolutely every single person they know and are close with um, consistently over years of their life, at, in every single moment of their life? Yeah, and he let Foggy feel like Foggy was helping him when he wasn't. You know, like he played vulnerable in a way that looking back on it and realizing that that was a lie could feel like it was mocking him, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, I completely understood Foggy being pissed. <laughs> I think you're both wrong. <laughs> I, I I agree with the sentiment behind what you're saying, Aubrey and Alicia, but I tend to not be a fan of really, like, whiny and dramatic episodes. <laughs> yeah. <Fair enough. laughs> I really love whining and drama, so... She does. 
That was like my favorite episode. Honestly, I was kind of looking forward to that because once you figured out who he was, I was like, oh, let's see how this goes down. Like, this will be good. Mm-hmm. And I really thought they did a pretty good job, so. Fair enough. But that's just me and the, like, people side of me liking to see interactions. Well, at least we can all agree that Foggy is a whiner. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yes. <laughs> a little bit. Okay, is there anything else people want to say about Daredevil? No. Um, nothing's coming to mind. All right. Um, so who was able to actually see the Supergirl trailer? I did. I did. I didn't know we were supposed to watch it, so. God damn it, Alicia. <laughs> see, it's not only Some me. Slacker. It's not only me. <laughs> um, so I thought it was interesting because the first time I watched it, I was like, it seems okay, but seems a little bit weirdly like romantic comedy-ish at times Mm -hmm. and I don't know how I feel about that and then it was on the internet for long enough and I read the opinions of uh, actual women who had seen it and a lot of them actually responded really positively Mm -hmm. because it was so girly and that kind of changed my perspective a bit Hmm. because it was like well you know just just because it's a superhero show doesn't mean it has to be specifically tailored to the things that I enjoy. Okay, so so I don't know a lot about the background. Are they just spinning off this, or was it actually, is, like, Superwoman or whatever supposed to actually be his sister? Like, I, I guess I just don't know enough about it, so... Um, so in in the comics, there are multiple Supergirls, but the, the most uh, popular one is uh, Superman's cousin. Okay, so it, 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 there is some behind it in the comic books, and okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I actually had a similar response to you, Tim. Um, initially, I was like, "Uh, I feel like this is like pandery, but also just like unnecessarily aiming at like a a bubblegum flavored audience that I wasn't into <laughs> <laughs> at all." <laughs> And then, I, you know, as the as the trailer went on, I was like, okay, I feel like they're actually subverting some of the expectations that you have that go along with that sort of rom-com feel. Mm-hmm. You know, because initially I was irritated by the stereotypes of, you know, her character. And I was like, okay, actually she's sort of being both that and then also figuring out who else she is and how to be authentically her normal self, her real world self, but also, you know, this empowered superheroine who, you know, goes out and saves people. I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I changed my, my feelings about it fairly rapidly. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of comedy behind it for, like, the type of atmosphere, things that normally you expect from, like, Superman or a hero sort of thing, I feel, so... I don't know. I thought it was funny, at least the trailer, and I think I think they they will do a pretty good job with it. I feel from like what you see from the trailer. I also like. I don't necessarily know that I'll like it necessarily, but I I'm not like sitting here violently hating the idea of it. <laughs> um, and also, one thing that I did like was I felt like okay, you know what? Honestly, if someone were to randomly decide, you know, like have be a superhero. I, but also be a regular person, I felt like, you know, maybe maybe those are the kinds of things that you would struggle with. Because I feel like oftentimes mm-hmm. people become superheroes and it's like, 
very unrealistic <laughs> mm-hmm. how that actually affects their daily lives uh-huh. and how it plays with their personalities as just, you know, people trying to live their lives. So, I don't know. I think it's got potential. I certainly think to Jared's notion that uh, it looks far more interesting than actual Superman. I don't, I don't think it takes too much, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, not to be a basher, but I've never been a huge fan of Superman or Superwoman to this point. Like, I, I guess we did watch the latest Superman, but I don't know. I've just never, I was never big in the Smallville when it was that. That's what was big as in high school, and so I just never found him as a superhero to be that interesting to me. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree, though. I'm sure. You know, big fans of the comic book could tell you issues and arcs that were written well. I'm sure that exists. But um, one of the other positive things that people are saying about this trailer is that it is uh, part of a trend to make comic books more unashamedly comic book. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, or comic book uh, media, rather, uh, because for a long time, movies and TV shows about comic books have been really ashamed to admit that they're about comic books. Because, like, Smallville, for example, it's like, okay, yeah, it's about Superman, but he's going to be a kid. It's, he's not going to have really that many powers. They're not going to be, like, punching people in the face all over the city. So it's fine. You can still watch it. Like, don't worry. Or the uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movies which are like well this is what life would really be like if there are people with like going out and beating people up in the streets we're going to make it dark and we're going to make it serious we're going to make it real yeah it's the the gritty realism thing that you know has been sort of in vogue in in superhero media i suppose right and i i think a lot of comic book fans want to see more stuff like supergirl which is like yeah I'm a person with superpowers, and I'm going to go and save the day. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be cool, instead of everything is horrible. <laughs> or, you know, like Man of Steel, where it's like, yes, I am Superman, and I'm going to be really angry and angsty, and I'm going to spend the entire time punching this guy in the face of the city, and a whole bunch of people are going to die, and then I'm going to break his neck, and it's going to be horrible. <laughs> Um, and along the same line, uh, I think this is the same production studio that's doing um, The Flash and Arrow. Mm-hmm. It's actually not. Supergirl's well, by C- CBS. The other ones are by CDW. No, but it's it's the same. It's this. It's a different. Um, it's a different channel. But I think it's the same production company. Oh, got it. Okay. Uh, the same. Okay. And uh, while whereas Arrow is kind of like silly and angry and gritty a lot of the time, The Flash I am super into because. The, uh, their their rendition of Barry Allen in that TV show is just like, yeah, I can run real fast, and this is awesome. I'm gonna go save people, <laughs> um, and I really enjoy it. I, I I've really been enjoying the Flash this season. You think ever we're gonna get sick of superheroes soon? With how much <laughs> like we're doing with. Just with whatever you want to say Disney or whatever like all the Marvel we've been doing what are there's so many TV shows about like superhero and Marvel like they're putting everything out there it feels like and it's not like they're just doing one uh one channel either it's like CBS has got one CW like mm-hmm. like Netflix has got one too and like <laughs> like it'll be Fox ABC apparently everyone's gonna like They've allowed, like, this huge, like, degree of... I don't know if they're trying to keep quality or how they're going to do this. Because 
they're just allowing so many different uh, country, uh, countries channels to do different things with um, different tar- parts of Marvel. So yes, I think we are going to get tired of it. I think I'm already a little tired of it, but. Uh... <laughs> I will get tired of it when they stop producing things that I enjoy watching. Um, but simply because there's a lot of it, I don't think is inherently tiring for me. Mm-hmm. I really want, like, I don't necessarily want it to go away. I just want there to also be a fluorescence of original, um, stories sure i guess i'm not i'm not afraid of too many also it's just i just really don't want to be like 20 years from now it's like you remember the like marvel decade or like the superhero decade and like everyone just is like oh my gosh in 20 years we're like oh my gosh another superhero i think we've done enough of that already (laughs) and like it's in 20 years. You remember the days when there used to be movies not about superheroes? <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's like, we've literally been going through, like, we they have Marvel movies planned out through 2019, 2020. Like, that's another five years from now, and they're putting out, like, three or four a year. And so... Yeah. I, I, I haven't really gotten too bored of them, but I don't know. I know we talked last time about how you guys didn't think some of them were worth watching, and so um, is it better we just throw so many out there that at least some of them are worth watching? Or? No. <laughs> That's just nice I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I would obviously prefer that there not be bad movies. I don't know. I think there is... I, I think, it, especially if you're going along like a single franchise like Marvel is, I think there is a danger of oversaturation. And I think... Uh, movies like Ant Man, which isn't looking to be super awesome. Oh, I'm so can, excited! <laughs> can 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 potentially muddy the franchise with stuff that people don't really want, and that can have lasting effects for how people see the series as a whole. So I know Marvel's really big. Do you know how many total characters there are? In like in a like ballpark, even in in Marvel, yeah, like hundreds. Okay. I, I meant more, yeah, just like no, the superheroes. No. I guess they're just villains. No, and no, I mean superheroes. Yeah, seriously, yeah. there are a lot of them. Whether or not they're going to make it into uh, the cinematic universe is a different question. But... Yes, I do know there's a lot of them, because so, I've seen pictures of like, hey, here's more, like, there's hundreds of them there, so I just didn't know if you knew exactly how many there were. I know not all of them are, are the most entertaining people, probably, to make into something. Well, like, you can get lost in how many characters there are in just X-Men by itself. So expanding out to all of Marvel is there's there's a lot there's more than you could reasonably make movies for in <laughs> a typical life of a franchise. <laughs> yeah, I think I know I'm kind of going back to Daredevil here, but I do like I do like when like a comic thing kind of pushes that typical black and white, good and evil. Mm-hmm. barrier that you often see in the whole superhero, supervillain dynamic, where it's like, well, someone's obviously evil, and someone's obviously good, and you're kind of like, well, maybe they're not always good, and maybe they're not always evil, but I kind of like seeing a little bit more of that, too. Like, they're just kind of, they both have, just have different goals, and then who's gonna win out? <laughs> Absolutely. I think the characterization of Fisk, and we, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but uh, it was was 
excellent and something that I think we should see more of. Yeah. Out of the TV shows, what do you think has been the best so far? Uh, so the the Marvel TV shows or just superhero TV shows in recent years? Um, I don't know. I, I was thinking just Marvel, but just mostly like things like we see like Arrow and Flash and Net or Daredevil. So, and... so Arrow and Flash are DC. Yeah, DC. yeah I'm gonna show my nig- ignorance there. <laughs> well, let's just go with superheroes, so I don't look as much of an idiot. <laughs> I mean, I confess uh, the only one I've actually watched fairly consistently was Agents of Shield. So or Shield, I I I was watching that pretty well until they took their huge hiatus and like I it seemed yeah. like they weren't sure if they wanted to bring it back or not. They have. Well, I know they did. Yeah, I enjoyed the first season of Agents of Shield. I didn't really get into the second season as much. I liked Agent Carter quite a bit, but it was only what eight episodes. Or I haven't so. watched it yet, so um, it's definitely one of the stronger uh, um, superhero shows. Um, definitely stronger than Agents of Shield. I would say my favorite show is probably the the Flash. So have have you watched Arrow at the same time as Flash, or you just? I preferred watching Flash, so I kind of watched almost all of it. I've still yet to see the season finale. And now I'm going back and watching Arrow, which is a little bit more difficult because it's just so angsty all the time. Yeah, well, I was sort of wondering if you were falling into any issues. Because, like, they do have those crossovers, like, three or four times. Yeah, there's definitely, like, they 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 um, they um very intentionally put spoilers for Arrow in their crossovers. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm like, what the hell, man? <laughs> That's why I was sort of wondering, since it sounded like you weren't watching Arrow at the same time. Because I watched them at the same time. And so, uh, uh, um, it, I wasn't always watching the one before, like, when they first brought him together sometimes, so you're like, why is he over here? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, Felicity shows up, and she's like, yeah, this guy in the super suit, he's my boyfriend now, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, so, um, I know one aired before the other, and I didn't always watch them in the correct order, so you'd have these, like, random, like, why is she here? Okay, well, whatever, she's gone. Like, there's, like, one time, uh, it's not really that really a spoiler, but uh, Arrow asked for a favor from the Flash, and so you see him for all of maybe 60 seconds. <laughs> That's it. It's like, hi, I'm here, okay, I'm bon- gone. Like, <laughs> yep. I was like, I, I guess, yeah. My, my favorite part about those awkward crossover bits some of them worked well, some of them didn't. <laughs> My favorite part was when they would, like, force in these little one-liners that would refer back to the other series that were clearly out of place and just, like, forcibly thrown in to for there to be more connection. So, like, when uh, they walk into Star Labs and Oliver Queen is like, I'm looking into the death of Black Canary. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and we're like, ah, she's dead. Oh, my God. Okay, those, those are the ones that I hated the most. Yeah, and, like... Uh, <laughs> And the scientist dude and the girl, yeah, like, where she gets her, like, screeching thing. Oh, my gosh, I thought that was, like, the stupidest crossover and the most... Oh, man. Yeah, there was way too much crossover for that show, those shows. I think sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Yeah, I think they can tease it sometimes to make you watch it, but I was think I think they overdid it. Mm-hmm. But, well, yeah, when they did it good, they did a good, t- good job of it, so... And, you know, on a related note, I- I'd like to kind of segue this to the horrible horrible this american life episode that i listened to (laughs) did you did you happen to listen to it aubrey i actually didn't i was sort of like what 
<laughs> when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, I missed that one, apparently. <laughs> I think it was two weeks ago, maybe three, whatever. Um, in any case, they did this uh, episode that was all about superheroes, and they did they treated it really terribly, like in a way that made you feel the the writers had really no sense of why people actually read or watch superhero media and why they enjoy that mm-hmm. and what they find interesting about it. It was basically, it started off with this intro about this guy who was like, yeah, I used to love superheroes when I was a kid, and then I grew up and realized that they were <laughs> stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm surprised I'm surprised all these movies in Marvel are doing so well. <laughs> um, just and, and how he's like a graphic novelist now and he has his own like superhero character who's just like arrogant and stupid and fat because <laughs> that's how i would be if i were a superhero and it's like Why? well yeah okay all right <laughs> it's okay so i guess i i haven't heard of this american life so is this a like, oh. podcast or youtube or normal tv show or? it was on npr um and I think it recently separated itself. And it kind of, it, it started its life as a radio show and has kind of become more of a podcast in recent years. Okay. And, uh, it's, it's pretty popular among the liberal crowd. Yes. They don't, they typically do like all sorts of different stories, whether it's, you know, one week they might do like this criminal case that's interesting, or one week they might delve into this story about like the financial crash or something like that. Okay. So then after that wretched intro, they started a story by, um, it was, it was actually John Hodgman. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, he's a comedian that kind of shows up every now and then. He did the, he was the, the Mac in the, I'm a, PC, I'm a Mac commercials. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And he did this uh, story about how he was asking people whether, uh, at, at parties very casually, whether they'd rather have uh, flight as a superpower or invisibility, and then talked about people's reactions and kind of did this, uh, you know, <laughs> amateur psychoanalysis of why people would choose flight over invisibility, which basically came down to him interviewing people talking about how they would only ever use their powers in really selfish, self-serving ways. Uh-huh. And like how people who choose invisibility only want to do it so they can get away with things. And how people who want flight are really showy. And I don't know, it was really weird. Like they had interviews of people who were like, well, if I had flight, I would probably... I don't know. I'd fly to the bar, see what's up. Oh, jeez. <laughs> fly home. Were these people, like, high at the time of interviewing? <laughs> well, he said he was interviewing people at parties, so they may have been drunk. <laughs> fly my kid to the doctor's appointment, fly home. Yeah, and, uh, or, like, uh, it basically ended up making the point that people who choose invisibility have shame about their life and they want to hide from the world and people who have flight are just like want to be out there and showy and don't need to hide from anything interesting and i don't feel like that was a uh, fair portrayal (laughs) also at one point he asked like well so if you had superpowers would you fight crime and the guy was like they were injuring was like no i i mean 
I don't fight crime now, so why would I fight crime <laughs> just because I can fly? Like, I wouldn't have in- invulnerability or super strength, so how does flying help me fight crime? It's because you can start flying with like, like Superman. Doesn't mean you became Superman. I mean, I think that this is a typical sort of this American life kind of approach to things, which is to sort of take something that people are very, very idealistic about and delve into, like, if we were all just normal people and normal people who are awful frequently, what would we actually do <laughs> despite our stated idealism? Yeah, I just, I have trouble with that um, ideology because I I feel like it assumes that if we had the ability to, we would all be wretched people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that presupposes that we don't already have the ability to be wretched people. <laughs> <laughs> we just... We would just gain more ability to be more wretched. <laughs> uh, so there was also another interview with a woman who's like, yeah, if I had invisibility, like, the first thing I would do would go to a mall and steal sweaters. <laughs> I'd be like... Does the sweater become invisible with you? I always thought, like, do you have to be naked to be invisible? Like... <laughs> well, he actually, he, he, he talks a little bit about how people, uh, when asked this question try very much to, like, figure out, like, to negotiate what the, the confines of the abilities are. <laughs> but I, and, and I thought that was a weird point, too, because you can, you have the ability to go steal sweaters at a mall. Yeah. Like, you can go do that right now. You don't have to be invisible. <laughs> oh, shoot. You're just more I... likely to get away with it if you're invisible. What am I still doing here if I have another ability? <laughs> I feel a little cold. I need a sweater. <laughs> But, like, why, just because you can turn invisible, why would you then, like, immediately go and be a criminal? It just feels weird to me. I mean, I I guess the implication is that the reason that we're not all doing awful things all the time is because it's actually kind of inconvenient. (laughs) I just, I disagree with that. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose that's, I mean, I'm not saying I endorse it. I'm just saying that I think that that sounds like what's what the argument here is. I think it's also a little bit of stereotyping, like, the power itself. Because if you think of, like, flying, you most likely probably think of Superman. And Superman was a hero, mm-hmm. and he would go and save people flying, falling out of the sky or whatever, like, in planes. You think of people that are invisible, or, like, people that can cloak themselves. And so you possibly, like, usually they do it more for, like, uh, man, I am the worst person with names. I'm just gonna say this. The... Uh, the person from X-Men who, like, can change into anyone, like... Oh, Mystique. Mystique, yeah, can, like, look like someone else, or if you can be invisible, you can... It seems more of a shady type of thing, and I think that's where that stereotype sort of comes from, that, like, of why they sort of are doing that. I think I think we could take it to, like, the whole Colbert's moral reasoning thing, where it depends on, like, what moral stage you're at. Because if you're at the stage where you don't do something because you'll get caught for doing it, then maybe you would just go steal sweaters if you're invisible. Yeah. But if you're, like... Not still in sweaters because you don't want to, like, harm business or you don't think it's morally appropriate anyways. It's not like you're going to suddenly change just because you have a power. Yes. Right. And I think that, you know, honestly, I think a lot lot of people would more identify with the person who was like, if I could fly, I would go fritter away this ability uselessly by (laughs) going in, (laughs) flying over to the bar and see what was going on. Like, I feel like the vast majority of people would use it to continue doing what they're already doing, only easier. Right. (laughs) Right. Easier and maybe more fun. And and that's, 
that's a point that I can believe and get behind. Mm-hmm. I don't think we would all suddenly become superheroes just because we had different abilities than we do now. But I also don't think that we'd go start committing all the crimes we could possibly get away with. No, I think a few people would, but I don't think that the vast majority of people would. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you'd have to figure out how you could use it to be a superhero, and you'd, you'd have to put some thought into it and, and figure out a way to do it, which probably most people wouldn't do. You might even need to have, like vaguely self-important tendencies to be like, ah, now I will be a superhero. <laughs> yeah. Like, they've got to find some way to make it e- like, I, I feel like just use it as party tricks is like, seriously, the most... Now you see me, now you know. Yeah. I feel like in real life, if there were people who could turn invisible, instead of becoming superheroes, they would be picked up by the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying thinking, like, be a spy. Yeah, I could see that, yeah. So yeah, it was kind of frustrating to listen to because the rest of the story, there was, there was one okay story that was about like this female bounty hunter who was super good at everything, but then had kind of trouble reconciling that with trying to have a normal life. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting. But then it went on to be stupid again. <laughs> Tim just really didn't like it. I really didn't like Is that, it. That's pretty much what the moral of this was. <laughs> You know what? Every once in a while, they're going to miss. I feel like This American sure. Life has a pretty solid track record. Sure. Well, no, it's not like I'm just writing the show off. It's horrible. <laughs> I'm done. not listening to it again. Flip Disappointed me for the first and last time, This American Life. Yeah. Oh, the, the, I remember the other thing that bothered me. I was just uh, vamping on how much I hated it earlier. Uh, there was this monologue uh, that was kind of this, like, this spoken word like it was by this uh black guy talking about like from the perspective of like being a super villain to superman and a lot of it was actually pretty amusing and then it gets to the end where the super villain the 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 person who's speaking creates this machine that will teleport you to like the end of existence where some otherworldly being will like judge your existence and he uses it on superman and superman is confronted by this being and the being gives him this choice between getting to act like a hero and be a hero in the eyes of everyone in the world but actually things are going to be miserable or to sacrifice your life and make the world wonderful for everyone and in this story, Superman, without hesitation, says that he wants to be the hero. Which is absolutely not what Superman is about. <laughs> like, whether or not you think he's an interesting character or a boring character, he is absolutely, from the very fundamental basis of his being, a person who wants to make the world a better place and is willing to sacrifice his life to do so. <laughs> Like, that's who he is as a character. Yeah. So, hmm. and, and, and so I feel like, it's, it's not that I'm angry that I got the character wrong. It's that I'm angry that I feel like it's making a judgment upon the people who like these kind of stories by saying that their idea of these characters is naive. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think is true. I mean, I think that some people probably have a, I don't even know if naive is the right word, but at least a, 
you know, a simplified, you know, a like, like sort of simply straightforward, like this is the good guy and this is the bad guy kinds of stories, you know, where sure. things that seem overtly heroic are definitely heroic and, you know, all that kind of thing. But I don't think that that's necessarily everyone. And I also don't necessarily know that that's a bad thing, you know, that, that people, that some people like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was, that's my spiel on that episode. Hmm. I think if you gave that choice to Iron Man, that would be a lot. Yeah, yeah, yes. I wouldn't be surprised if we took the first one. <laughs> I think that's probably true. Um, is there something that you want to talk about, Apple? I don't want to talk about anything. I want to go home. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's how important this one is to her, this podcast. Um, well, we can talk about Broken Age. Um, I finished it recently. So did I. And I started it quite some time ago. And I don't just mean that I started it and then there <laughs> played the whole first act and then waited for the second act to come out and then finished it. I mean, I started the first act and didn't play very much of it and <laughs> quit for a good long time. And then within the last week, started playing it again and finished it. And... I feel like my initial feeling about Broken Age was completely unimpressed. <laughs> um, and I was a little confused because I felt like there was a lot of hype around Broken Age from people mm-hmm. who play that kind of game. Which, for anybody who doesn't know, it's a puzzle adventure game by Double Fine, traditional point-and-click Um and, you know, by Tim Schafer, the same guy who did uh, Wise Monkey Island. Monkey Island and also Grim Fandango. Um, and so I was really like, okay, this has been hyped. I, I'm on board. And, like, I was just not impressed for the first, like, half an hour or hour. And I was just like, okay, well, that was a bust. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. Did you did you start with a specific character and only play that for the first half hour? I did. Mm. And it was the the male character. Yes. <laughs> um and so his whole thing, he's on this ship and it's this like it's full of 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 sunshines and moons and mobiles and talking forks and knives and little friends who are made out of yarn and it's supposed to convey this sense that he's being treated like a like a baby essentially he's much older than that he's like i don't know what do you think like 12 something like that um but it's this impression that his childhood has been artificially extended and that he's he's bored and he's kind of stuck in this world that bores him and has no challenges in it and that vibe, I was like, I feel like that's real. <laughs> I feel like this world is boring and awful, and like this game was designed for children. <laughs> like I got infected with the vibe that he was experiencing, and it was just like, uh, I can't do it. <laughs> okay, okay, not to say, but it sort of looks like a child's game somewhat. It does it does initially? Like it seems like something I'd be playing when I was like ten or eleven. <laughs> And it doesn't, like, it doesn't stay that way entirely. I mean, I do think that kids could probably play it fine. But, you know, it's 
it turns into an actual, you know, a, a game with twists and turns and, like, they're eating maidens in the other half of the story, which is pretty intense if you think about it. Like, they're sacrificing the <laughs> young girls in all of the villages in the land every, what is it, like, 40 years. That's a pretty intense storyline. And the other storyline is this, like, perpetually frozen in adolescence, you know, <laughs> situation with, like, the most obnoxious mother character of all time. Yeah, it almost tanked the entire game for me because I played it first. <laughs> okay, so I have a question. I want to know, like, so looking at it here on Steam, I'm, I'm just looking at the most helpful customer reviews, and, like, everything is a thumbs down. Like, the first ten that are considered the most helpful. So, overall, was it that terrible of a game that you wouldn't recommend it? Or No, it wasn't. It wasn't actually a terrible game. It was actually a good game. <laughs> okay. And if you... I... Go, go ahead. Here, so so I liked the first half, mm -hmm. and my feelings on the second half can be expressed vastly. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Man, I feel like I just want to go play this now. Um, I thought, the, I didn't think the first half was amazing. I wasn't immediately gripped. I didn't think I was like, oh my god, this is the best thing no, ever. No, no, certainly not. Um, but it was kind of light and whimsical, and I I enjoyed it for the most part. I thought Shay's uh, half of the game was mildly amusing, but I think it went on a little too long with doing boring things that weren't that mm -hmm. interesting. Um, and even when it left that, I didn't feel like the things he was doing were that interesting um and i liked uh I, I liked the world that they created in both sides i liked the characters the art style the whimsy i didn't really feel like the actual experience of playing the game was all that gripping no, i don't think so um and uh that basically it's a game experienced for its whimsy like you know you just kind of go there and have a fun time and like a land in the clouds or you know you get to meet some druids who are silly and blind um and play with your yarn pals um and then uh, then the, the very end of the, the first half sets up this interesting twist i don't know if we i mean i guess we should go ahead and spoil it since we're talking about the game we spoil everything else spoil away. go ahead Brief recap, so it's, so the twist is more understandable. Shay is in a spaceship being coddled and is super bored and ends up, uh, essentially this fox creature in like the vents of the ship, uh, convinces him to secretly, uh, save, like to warp to different locations and save these creatures in need of help. Uh, he's kind of doing against the will of the mother computer. Um, and Vela on Earth-ish um, has uh, essentially rejected her status as a sacrificial maiden and has gone off to try and kill the giant Cthulhu monster that the cities are just kind of passively sacrificing to 
every so often. At the end of the first half, we discover that the spaceship that Shay is on is actually the giant monster that Bella has been trying to kill. And so there's this fun twist where, you know, he thinks that he's rescuing the, the, the little wolf fox creature, tells him that, tells Shay what they're doing is saving, you know, helpless creatures from the void of space. Um, and so he thinks he's like collecting and gathering all of these, you know, these helpless little creatures. And in reality, what's going on is, you know, he's essentially been kidnapping girls from their villages. <laughs> it's not just that the ship has been doing it. He has been actively, you know, sort of conned into kidnapping all of these maidens from all over the land. <laughs> In the guise of doing nice. something good. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting. The The other thing that the, the first half ends with is that due to hijinks, uh, Shay ends up in Vela's world outside the ship, and Vela in, ends up inside the ship. Oh, jeez. And then we get to my big problem with the second act, is that the second act spends the entirety of its time inside of these two locations that we already very well experienced in the first act. And it makes the game feel very, very small. So Shay goes to all of the different locations that Vela just explored and meets many of the same characters. And uh, Vela, in turn, walks around the ship that we already spent a whole bunch of time being bored in. (laughs) And it doesn't really deviate from those two big locations until, like, the very, very end. Okay. Yeah. One thing I will give it, though, is that I think that it avoided a lot of the major pitfalls that adventure games, fall, you know, sort of fall into regularly. And that I felt like the puzzles were relatively intuitive, and there wasn't a whole lot of, like, randomly trying to apply every item in your inventory to every, mm-hmm. you know, thing that you can interact with in the world. That's true. I think there were a couple missteps there, especially with the hexapals. Yeah. Um, but yes, for the most part, I think they did a good job. Um, and I think that there were like amusing, like interesting, really what I liked the best was like some of those like locations I thought were really interesting in terms of like the idea that was embedded within them, like the cloud world, Mm -hmm. the, the, the weird cult that was formed around this like charlatan of lightness, you know, lightness of being, um, I thought that was an interesting sort of embodiment of that idea, you know, of the, the sort of charismatic charlatan yeah i don't know i i I thought that there were interesting moments in the game and that's kind of how i relate to a lot of adventure games is like okay this was an interesting moment you know but Mm -hmm. yeah those hexadude puzzles uh (laughs) i had to go like old school on it and actually like pull out a pad and like pencil and like write down the location like it was just the it really it was not it was not good. A significant amount of puzzle solving at the very end of the game involved you having to rewire these hexagon robots. Um, and you could, depending on what you needed them to do, you had to rewire them in different ways. Uh-huh. But it never straight up told you. There was no, like, diagram that you discovered. except Maybe once there was. Yeah. But 
for a lot of the puzzles, there wasn't a diagram where you could just be like, okay, now that I found this diagram, I just need to connect this here and this here and this here. It was more like, well, you can kind of see from this thing that this is supposed to be here. So maybe you can just kind of guess and check and kind of throw wires all over the place. And maybe eventually you come across a thing that actually does And something. you're supposed to sort of intuitively grasp that, like, it shows you the wiring in one of them in one world and you're supposed to remember that wiring and apply it to one in the other world mm -hmm. and that's sort of one of the ways that it tries to tell you how to you know rewire these things and it's like how the hell do you actually expect me to remember not only which color of wires <laughs> go in which positions but also the direction that they're connected was important right. <laughs> and there was no way of actually telling looking at the wire like what direction, you know, what was the head and what was the tail of the wire? It was, it was a very, it was a poorly designed set of puzzles. <laughs> it was irritating. Yes. Uh, it reminded me of my primary. Like, I feel like all adventure games now should have like an active sort of screen capture that is built into the interface. Like, yeah, you can you can do screen captures in, you know, Steam. But there should be actually something in the interface of adventure games that allows you to screenshot and then pull it up while you're still looking at the rest of the game. <laughs> because you're not playing a game so that you can <laughs> test your memory of the obscure thing, you know, that you saw hours ago. You're testing yeah. whether or not you actually can, like, put the pieces together and be like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to do it. It's not fun to be like, oh, yeah, I was supposed to do it that way, but I don't remember, so I have to go all the way back and look at it again, and then hope that I remember when I go right. all the way back to apply it somewhere else. Um, the other really frustrating part uh, that was a smaller section of the game was when, uh, as Vela, you're trying to trick Mom into letting mm -hmm. you into the room. And I was being lazy and didn't want to, like, I'd figured out most of the, the, the quiz mm -hmm. that she gives you. And I was at a certain point where I was like, okay, I figured out most of it. I'm just going to, like, guess and check for the, these last two points. But if you make a mistake, it warps you back <laughs> to the room with all the clues. <laughs> so, so instead of just letting me guess and check, I had to be teleported back to the room that had the clues that I needed and then walk all the way back to the mom and then talk to her again. And I made, like, I I was just like, I don't care. And I, like, got it wrong, like, three times in a row. I was like, oh, my God, this is so dumb. Just let me, like, just let me figure it out on my own. I don't need to be teleported yeah. back in. Yeah, that, that sounds really annoying. There were some clunky, yeah, there were some bad puzzles in the second half. I thought the narrative of the second half was fine, but it was the actual, like, puzzles and gameplay that were a little bit flat. I did, I really was amused when we went into the guts of Shay's ship, or the, the guts of, the, you know, where they had the, the music hexagons right, right. that had turned feral. I I enjoyed that. Yeah, though. that was amusing. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> well, I would have continued to be negative and say that I did not like the narrative. You don't have to, it's okay. <laughs> uh, because, uh, so essentially... What it, how it turns out is the, the wolf creature that convinced Shay to c capture innocent maidens was actually this member of this, like, highly genetically modified race of human beings that lives in a, like, a cordoned off part of the world who has been stealing people from the 
a normal quote unquote part of the world to essentially harvest their DNA because normal people have something that their highly genetically modified bodies lack. And they're set up as these like big villains of the second act, but you had no idea they had existed in the first act and they're not super compelling villains. They're just like <laughs> arrogant and mean, like, and you don't know anything about their culture really. And you don't really get to experience their culture you're just like, oh, they're the bad guys. Ah. Right, and it's also confusing because Shay and any everyone else that you've met from that side of the wall doesn't look like that. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, what? It's go- I don't know. Um, I felt like they were hinting at things that could have been interesting mm-hmm. from like a world building perspective, but they sort of rushed through that. Yeah. And it, it ultimately wasn't as enjoyable as a result. What I heard about the development of the game is that they started running out of money, and so that's why they split it into two acts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, and then they were running out of time, essentially. They had, uh, they're coming down to the deadline for the second act. And what I've heard is that Tim Schafer essentially just like locked himself in a room for a day and came up with a script for the second act. Um, and so I don't feel like there's enough time given for iteration and editing for both the puzzles and the narrative aspects of the game. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So play the first half of the game. Yeah, the first half of the game is worth playing. And the second half isn't, like, hideous, mostly. It's just not as good as the first half. Yes. I mean, you know, and that that story that you just spun about the development issues is such a common story in game development. Right. It's just uh, not one that ends up being so public and not and, and not so obvious because of the things that Double Fine has create, have created in the past. You mm-hmm. know that they are capable of creating a solid narrative. Right. And I think, I mean, the production values overall were pretty high especially yes. for the first half and mm-hmm. so yeah i guess part of it is that they spent so much time and money on the first half that then trying to get the second half to live up to it was yeah. probably <laughs> more ambitious than, <laughs> than reasonable yeah and a lot of people are angry because it was the first it was the first big uh, video game kickstarter success mm-hmm. um so people were really upset that they ended up splitting it into two halves and that they didn't actually release it all at once like they said they're going to and then the second half wasn't super awesome because they're running out of time and money from the kickstarter when they vastly overshot their goals which is i don't think unreasonable that they ended up having money issues but is a symptom of kickstarter and having stretch yeah. goals and things like that not to go too far into kickstarters but even that like even with what we've been considering or some of the first, like, Kickstarter games, like, say it got, like, a million dollars, like, million dollars, yeah, that, like, if you consider you're paying people, like, programmers and stuff, like, say, $50,000 as a company, that's that's maybe 20 people, and that's just, like, in paying right. people, and so, and that's one year, so, that's say if you want, if it's going to be two years, that's 10 people only, that you could have on a team. And so I feel this is something that's like, yeah, great, there's so many people, but I think it's vastly underestimated sometimes what it takes to get a game done. Yeah. And I also think that, I don't know, I think it's, it speaks to the fact that you probably can't kickstart something, a game that is long and extremely polished 
and have that be the entire budget for the game. Um, if you want a game that fits those descriptions, you need you have to have like a diversity. Yeah, you need to like Kickstarter can be part of it. It can be part of how you prove public buy-in but that Mm -hmm. should then like you have to have somebody who then says okay you know i will fund the rest you know (laughs) it has to go further than that yeah (laughs) or they should be up front and say yeah we're gonna fund installations of this we're gonna fund small chapters small episodes Mm -hmm. because i think that's a more reasonable kickstarter sort of model and then i mean compare that to pillars of eternity which earned about almost $4 million through Kickstarter, and they mm-hmm. created a really, really polished, really, really long, really in-depth RPG that did really well. <laughs> People really liked it. So I feel like um, if you if you know what you're going to do with the money as soon as you get it, you can succeed. Yeah, I don't know. How common is that, though? Uh, I don't think it's very common that people know exactly what they are going to do <laughs> with money. Uh, uh, $4 million <laughs> worth of money. Yeah. Well, yeah, and also, they get that, like, all at once, too, because as long as they reach their goal, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, like, handed $4 million, and, like, you got to be responsible with it, too, <laughs> and make sure and have a good plan set. I think that's probably one of the biggest things is, like, people want to get, like their game out or actually finish it um, and turn it into an actual job. But I think sometimes they don't put enough forethought into like um, the whole planning process of once they get it all. And Well, and game design is an iterative process. Like you don't design exactly what something is going to be and then like enact that vision and go, okay, I've done it. Right. Like true. typically the process of game design is something where you make part of it and then you realize that you have a limitation that you didn't expect or that something, you know, is way more ambitious than you thought it was or X, Y, or Z, you know, and so you trash something entirely, add something, cut it out, you know, and so it's, it's a process that you don't actually necessarily know how it's going to unfold until you're in the middle of it. Right. And that's something that's hard to plan for. And it's also something that's hard to communicate to the public. Yeah, I think a lot of people also that do, like, start their game as a passion and then, like, want to turn it into a full-time job and then realize that it's not going to last as, like, their lifetime or as yeah. long as they thought it would. And so then it's like, uh, well, I guess i got to get back to normal day. So you stop working on it as much, too. And so you just... It, that's why things get sped up or they aren't just polished or complete, too, so... Yeah, there have been a a couple pretty big high-profile Kickstarter failures that have happened because people had no idea what to do with money once they received it. They just had an idea for a thing and put it online. Uh, I think board games are probably actually more common for this than video games because a lot of video games, people realize that you need a significant amount of infrastructure behind you before you can actually just make a million dollar video game mm-hmm. um but a lot of, but uh, there are a lot of people who on kickstarter are like yeah we can make a board game i mean how hard <laughs> can it be um, it's just cardboard, cardboard things some sharpies and it's really easy to get a uh, a project on kickstarter to succeed if you uh can create mock-ups of really pretty looking miniatures yes <laughs> <laughs> Um, whether or not you actually have a game behind that. <laughs> that really doesn't matter, Tim. Come on. 
As long as you can stare at the pieces the whole time, you're fine. So, there have been a number of board games. I think Myth was a big one that actually produced a workable product, but it was just a horrible user experience because they made a bunch of really pretty miniatures and then they kind of had this strategy tactics game that kind of didn't really work and the apparently you literally could not actually teach yourself how to play it from the instruction manual. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a little too complicated. They, I think they probably just wanted to have a lot of, you know, like, user flexibility so that you could kind of decide how you wanted your gameplay to be. <laughs> that is a legitimate thing that people have said. <laughs> <laughs> So pretty much I should buy the game and cut up the box and use it as beautiful pictures. <laughs> use all the miniatures. You could use that. the miniatures and yeah. everything. Um, and then there's another one, I think, was The Doom That Came to Atlantic City, which is like a mashup between Monopoly and Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. That's what it was built as. It, well, you didn't hear about it because it crashed and burned. <laughs> oh, well, there's the reason I haven't heard about like, it. Like a year after the Kickstarter, the guy was like, yeah, we don't have any money, so the game's not going to happen. Sorry, guys. And it was like, well, this was kind of... Not that surprising, because it was like three dudes who had never made a board game before who weren't established in any sort of board gumming publishing or development who were just like, yeah, we can do this. It's fine. You guys know what we should do next podcast? Make a board game. (laughs) Okay, well, we've been talking for quite some time. Um, Is there anything else people feel like they, they need to say at this moment before we wrap it up? I don't think so. Jared, play Capsule. Come on, man. I, I will play Capsule. I will have a lot to talk about next week. <laughs> what is Capsule, though? I can't even tell you. You have to just play it. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us this week. We hope you had a wonderful time. I certainly did. <laughs> we will see you again in two weeks. Except I edit these slowly, so who knows when, you're, when you'll hear this, so... You know, whatever. It's fine. <clears throat> you probably still haven't heard our previous episode. <laughs> Shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. It's okay, you can just edit that out. Bye. 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 <laughs>